1: Welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I am your host, Christine Gritman, coming at you every single week with a new guest expert interview talking all about a specific element of branding. Now, thank you for joining us. If you are joining us on the Adweek Podcast Network, please do subscribe to Let's Talk About Brand on your podcast player of choice. I'm dropping new interviews every single Monday. Or perhaps you're joining us here on YouTube. The video version of each week's podcast interview does go up on YouTube every single Friday. And in between, I have the Tuesday chat about brand Twitter chat on, of course, Twitter, which is on the same topic as that week's guest interviews. This week's interview and this week's topic is a really, really fun one. We're talking about bold branding, One of the interesting little puzzles when it comes to branding is context, industry context, branding context, kind of, you know, do you want to fit into the picture? Do you want to stand out? Well, you do want to stand out, but you don't necessarily want to stand out in ways that make it unclear what you're there for. It's a whole puzzle. But some brands have the confidence to brand boldly. And when they do, they need a bold branding consultant like Robin Albin. I actually first encountered our guest Robin Albin many years ago. I will not get into how many years ago, but let's just say I was I was just a couple years out of college and I knew her as this copywriting and product naming legend. I worked in the beauty industry in New York City And she was really our secret sauce. I was, in fact, told to keep her a secret because she was really responsible for the incredible product names, the creative copy, all of that for a brand that I worked for. Now, Robin does so much more than copywriting. She is a brand strategist, a marketing strategist. She calls herself a brand Sherpa. We're going to dig into that. And, you know, she remains an absolute Active legend. So thank you so much for being here. Robin, let's bring Robin on. Hello, Robin Alvin.
0: I love the applause. Thank you, Christine. That's quite an introduction. I hope I live up to everything that you just <laughs> said about me. It's a lot. Um, but yes, we were just chatting before we got on air here about being at Origins, which mm-hmm. was the brand that we first were parallel pathing with, right? Um Yeah. I was with Origins for 25 years as their head copywriter and brand strategist and actually was one of the founding me- members of the Origins team recruited out from the world. Um, so it was a great experience. And talk about my favorite brand in the entire world. It remains Origins because it was a brand that disrupted the entire beauty category by changing the rules every talk about a bold brand changing all of the rules from day one and sticking to it. And that's part of being a bold brand is having the courage to maintain your identity, even when there's a little white noise out there.
1: I would love to dig into that first and foremost. You know, while we're going there, Origins... It's interesting because there wasn't a template for brands like that. They did a lot of things that just were not being done yet. And you were there when it was developed. As you said, you were part of the founding team. So can you dig into a little bit how Origins really broke a lot of rules for its time? Well, first and foremost, our mandate from Leonard Lauder,
0: the brilliant Leonard Lauder, was he said, we are not here to test the waters. We're here to make waves. And he sent us out and said, tell us where the beauty industry is going. What can we do that's really, really different? And what we did, which was very important at the time, was we didn't just look at the industry, the beauty industry on its own. We looked at what was happening in the world. And we noticed a lot of things that have actually become part of my branding process now. We looked at the politics of the time and it was a time of Reaganomics, of like an American exceptionalism, my way or the highway. We looked at banking and it was greed on Wall Street. We looked at what was happening on TV and it was the time of Dynasty and Dallas and big shoulder pads and powered women. Um, We looked at everything that was happening in the world. We looked at the introduction of computers at the time and how people felt about Big Brother watching us And then we went back to the beauty counter. And at the time, there were beauty advisors who would lean in and say, my dear, you don't look so good today. I am going to fix you. So everything about the culture and the time was about haves and have-nots and this marginalizing the way the consumer felt about things, taking control away from them and these dictates that really just felt impersonal. So we created a brand using one word, and that word was respect. And we said, first and foremost, as a beauty brand, if we're going to be about respect, the first thing we have to respect is the consumer skin. So we're not gonna put harsh chemicals on, we're going to go to tried and true nature. If you're going to be about respect and you're gonna take from nature, you have to give back to nature. So we respected the environment and we built a brand that was built based upon being environmental stewards. One of the first brands to do that. We said that if we were going to be about respect, we were gonna respect the consumer's intelligence because that wasn't happening at the time. So we were gonna give them lots of information. We were gonna take the barriers away, shopping experience away. We were gonna make it self-service. At that time at Prestige, that didn't exist. Um, and we were just going to give the consumer, our audience, a lot of information. We recognized that if we were going to tell them a lot of facts and figures and, you know, new ideas, we had to create a language that they wanted to hear it in. So that's how the whole large Origins language and naming system came into being. Everything, again, laddered back to this word respect. So we created a funny Um, language that was consumer-friendly, was very vernacular. And we said, when do you hear the most that you can absorb? It's when you're smiling, when you're happy. So we created a funny language. We said, if we're going to respect the consumer, we're going to respect their pocketbook. So we're not going to overprice. So everything was built around that idea. And it was a dramatic departure. And I have to say that Being in the industry for multiple, many, many, many years, as you said, um, Origins is probably still the most widely copied brand in the category. Someone somewhere has always noticed a little something about what we did at Origins and borrowed it
1: absolutely although they don't have you so they didn't quite yeah. now for those who are maybe less familiar with origins i'd love to talk about that vernacular and those those product names they were very playful again it was an accessible brand not well, is an accessible brand not only in terms of not overcharging being able to pronounce the ingredients being able to self-serve but also there's things like the fun product names the fact that the copy about them was really understandable even i don't think they do this anymore but i remember the in-store collateral which i was responsible for when i worked in creative services at origins i was responsible for processing that there was a font that was of my boss's handwriting <laughs> all of the signage looked handwritten now i think they just go with Gill sands for everything but even that that's a very accessible sans serif font so oh.
0: Font,
1: you know, it's always
0: that way. Um, So I'd love to
1: hear about how that came about. How playful was what was decided upon, and if there was any pushback on making that somehow make the brand seem, you know, unserious in a negative way, or if that just organically grew as part of it.
0: So don't forget, at the time, as I said, it was very, very high-minded, and uh, luxury brands were using a lot of fractured French and a lot of very high science terms. So again, that's very off-putting. You know, it it says, I understand this, you don't, and you need me to tell you about it. So that was why we created this language that was very storytelling, very metaphoric, and very playful, as you said. Um, We wanted to, again, engage the audience and make them stand up and listen and, and want to listen and want to hear what we had to say because the products and the, uh, the even the science behind Origins, which was nature's science, was new to the audience at that time. So we wanted to make people smile and feel very, very relaxed and not be highfalutin. So that's the language that we created we did not get pushback. And I always tell my audiences and my clients now, if we had taken origins to focus groups and we didn't just rely on our instinct and sensibility, people might've turned around and said, I don't understand what starting over means. I don't know what peace of mind means, you know, because it was very, very unfamiliar at the time. And that's where I think sometimes brands lose their boldness is when they ask the, the consumer, What is it that you want as opposed to sharing with them and making the consumers come to them and say i love that you know so that's that's a part of creating a bold brand is to break into new ground into new territory and not being shy about it and not being concerned about ruffling feathers because ultimately an audience finds should find you as opposed to pursuing them and that's, you know, they call that a lighthouse brand. You have a strong foundation and you shine a light out and the boats come sailing into shore. Um, and and that was the remarkable and wonderful and breathtaking thing about Origins is we broke all the rules and nobody said don't, you know.
1: Yeah, that trust is incredible. And And to your point, if you ask people, what they want. They're not going to say something bold and new. They they're going to go with the familiar. You know, right. it's like the famous Henry Ford quote about how if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. That's and why I always, we visionaries.
0: I always loved Diana Vreeland's quote, which was given what they never knew they wanted. Yes. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of what happens when you create something that's a, a departure, that's disruptive, people are uncomfortable with it to start but then as they gradually become more comfortable with it they can't imagine a world without it and that's even in terms of creating product names and brand names you know i recently had someone say to me do you have any agencies that test names and i said gee in in all the years i've been naming brands and products i've never tested them You know, it just, you put them out there and you were talking about context and window dressing. So much of a name and so much of a brand is what you do with it to bring it to come to life. And once you have all of that context that makes things make sense, it really changes the dynamics. And you could do things that are a lot braver because you have all of these, you you create this brand world that supports it.
1: And one thing I especially love about this particular story is that it illustrates that in order to be bold and disruptive, you don't have to be, you know, grating or in your face in any sort of negative way. Origins is so friendly and it's got such an, again, accessibility is a whole part of it. And so I love that that pointed out that boldness does not have to equal... You know, I'm trying to come up with a better word for
0: it, <laughs> but, you know. When people think of bold bold brands, they think of stuff being in your face yeah. and being very aggressive and and a bit of arrogance and ego built into it, you know, mm-hmm. you strutting your stuff. And that's not that's not in my mind what a bold brand is. In my m- mind, a brand that is bold has a point of view and has an insight into the audience, what is? What can we do to differentiate ourselves from what is already out there? What's wrong with the world? You know, what's wrong with the way things do business? I'm working with a, a startup now. It's called Colorforge. And one of the things that they noticed is that uh, when you work with contract manufacturers, a lot of times that there are minimums that are very costly and prohibitive for young brands to be able to access Limited runs, you know, generally you have to have a 5,000 5, unit production thing. For a small brand, that's a big investment. So by doing 3D printing, they could print out, they could do five units, they could do 50 units, they could do 500 units. It will eventually, when it's launched, it will change the dynamics of how products are manufactured. So that's a bold brand taking, you know, what has been in the category for a very, very long time and saying there's a better way to do this. Um, another bold brand that I'm working with has said, you know, there are consumers out there that are not getting the attention or the, the mindset that they deserve. So I'm working with a, a founder. Her name is Victoria Watts, and she has created a, the Cyrus system which is a substitute for Braille so that the blind and visibly impaired can navigate packaging and understand the difference between products. When you think about it, you go into your bathroom, and if you have three jars of product, how do you know which is the moisturizer and which is the cleanser, Mm -hmm. you know, or tubes rather like that? And so she's created a symbol system, a little like emojis, that will be a language that will help the blind and visually impaired. And hey, I wear glasses. When I look at a little package that has mice type on it, you know, y- you don't think about the visual impairment or if you're in the shower, for example, and you have shampoo uh, suds in your eyes, you're visually impaired. So this is going to be a very breakthrough thing and a breakthrough product that she's launching. And that is a bold st- making a statement and saying, hey, we're all about inclusivity and in body types and color of your skin. What about this audience? So, you know, there there are different ways to be bold by identifying something that is not working that can be improved on and taking and having a point of view about that. And then, as we said before, really sticking to that point of view.
1: I love that. Not only a disruption of brand, but also a disruption about the product itself. The idea of looking for that hole in the market, looking at something that could be done better. But, you know, of course, not every brand out there is specifically addressing something that hasn't been addressed. Sometimes they are, you know, addressing things that do exist. They're just addressing it from their own distinct point of view. So what are some what are some ways that brands can can do that or should they even? If you're not bringing something new to the table, can oh, you even be a bold brand?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no reason why a an incumbent brand or a legacy brand can't be bold and a lot of times what happens is over time brands start to accumulate a lot of assets and artifacts, and all of those things start to collide with one another. And what made this brand successful in the first place no longer exists. It's, I call it, you, you've got this big kettle of soup and nothing is really standing out and coming to the forefront. So part of the process that I do is I call it detonating and I blow the brand up. I take it apart piece by piece and look at all of the different elements of the brand. And then like what we did with origins, weighing it not just against the category it exists in, but against the universe, because no decision that we make is influenced by one thing. We are part of the world and everything from politics to climate change to inflation influences all of our decisions. So then by taking a look at all of these elements, these assets that a brand has and saying what do they mean contextually in the world today, you can begin to say what stands out as part of this brand that we need to bring to the surface to bring it up to the top and then use the rest of the information that the brand has at its disposal as part of the hierarchy an organization of what is important and what can you begin to take from your heritage or from things that you've done and say this is going to resonate strongly with today's audience. It's part of our DNA, but it means something more important now.
1: So I wasn't even intending to take the conversation in this particular direction, but I happen to notice that right behind you is a book on the metaverse. And I know that the beauty industry in particular has actually been pretty forward when it comes to embracing the metaverse. I know that there are several brands who are really doing incredible things in that space. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit about that type of innovation where the boldness It doesn't even necessarily have to come from doing, you know, from from the wider brand itself. But in terms of how it's applied boldness in brand application, I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the stuff that you've been seeing, including but not limited to brands embracing the metaverse and other new technologies like that. Well,
0: I think the danger of the metaverse right now is that it's a shiny object that a lot of brands are chasing just to be part of the metaverse. And I always tell my clients and the brands, I I do a lot of mentoring and uh, young brands that I work with, don't chase shiny objects. You have to be sure that something is part of what your brand DNA, the essence of your brand, and then use it in a way that works for your brand. So I wouldn't recommend going just chasing the metaverse. And it's still in its nascent form. And there's a lot of kinks that are being worked out. Look, I did some metaverse stuff, and I have to tell you that um, I was became obsessed. You know, I, I played some games and I looked at some projects that are being initiated. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that's yet to come. Like they're adding smell to the to the metaverse, so that it's not just sight and sound and touch. So there's a lot of of new things that are coming. There's a lot of ways to use the metaverse for medical and for technology uh, that is behind the scenes and not necessarily consumer facing. So I recommend that if a brand is interested in what's happening there, they should really educate themselves as to what is happening, what's coming up and saying, how does that relate to my brand? As opposed to just, I'm going to make it be a sales technique and, you know, we're going to go shopping in the metaverse. Um, I think that short changes the brand and also creates a and authenticity,
1: yeah absolutely you don't want to be just kind of a and no. you know yes you don't want to just be a, a go-along thing with that you want to have a point of view like you said about bold-braining in general have a point of view and own what's your point of view that's the other
0: really critical thing is that just because i, I read this the other day and it made me really stand up and take notice um if everybody, if someone told you to go jump off a bridge because everybody's doing it, are you going to go jump off a bridge? And it was in a book. Uh, uh, actually, it was in a medical book that I was reading for another project that I'm working on, and that made perfect sense. You know, and that's kind of what you see people doing now, particularly in companies that are looking for ways to dial up their uh, their presence in, and influence new audiences you know now everyone's fascinated with gen z so how do we make our brand be gen z maybe your brand shouldn't be gen z maybe it should be a millennial and let gen z find you again this lighthouse thought
1: Though to that end, so we talked about brands being disruptors to existing spaces, to looking at the context, tossing it out in the window, saying, here's our point of view, here's how we're showing up, here's how we're going to disrupt. We've talked about brands who maybe aren't something new, but how they are going to present their unique point of view. But what if you are a brand that really is? something new what if you're something where you're kind of writing the rule book as you go you are building the airplane while you're flying it you are jumping off the bridge and you want people to jump off with you what are some ways that brands can simultaneously be bold enough to make an impact without being so bold that people don't want to follow them on that journey
0: Well, I think that it's very, very important, you know, we're talking about breaking rules, but I think that what is very, very critical, and I brought this up with origins, is to have a consistency and a point of view that you stick to and not just say, well, we're gonna be bold and so we're gonna try this and we're gonna do that and be all over the place. It needs to ladder back um, to your point of view and I, talked a little bit before about origin's word being respect. When I do a brand rather than having, uh, it be develop a purpose and a promise or whatever that becomes a litany, a laundry list of terms. I make my brands do one word and that one word becomes the promise and everything that you do should go to support, to reinforce, to get the consumer to understand how that word becomes part of the brand. And again, with Origins, we never uttered the word respect. It was all delivered through our actions and the way the brand conducted itself. And that's what's really, really important. So that when you're asking the question about how to execute this, you find the word and you say, what does that word mean? in a shopping experience? What does it mean in packaging? What does that one word mean in terms of product development, in terms of our digital and social? And by doing that, you stay consistent, you reinforce what you stand for, and your audience has reason to believe in you and not only believe you, but say, "I, I choose this brand because it resonates with me.
1: Now, I, of course, love personal branding. So, Robin Albin, what is your one word for your personal brand?
0: Oh, insurgent. I am, a, I am the original insurgent. And um, so uh, I'm here to help you break the rules, to challenge yourself, to be a little bit more courageous, and to take smart chances, not just risks To for the sake of taking risks, but to develop your point of view and then be able to execute it in a way that you own—that I think that's the most important thing. And frequently, people ask me about archetypes because I'm a big believer in archetypes. So I, I think that while you have one word, you ca- should have two archetypes because the greatest creative experiences have a, a sense of creative tension. And there, is, that's what makes us interesting. And as storytellers, what is a story without conflict? It's nothing, there's no reason to listen to it. So by creating this tension within your brand as your point of view and your way of executing it, you become uh, interesting. We all have different dimensions to our personalities. So I would say that I am a rebel and a caretaker because mm-hmm. while I'm encouraging you to jump off a cliff I've got your parachute and I'm going to help you. I'm going to be right behind you, ready to pick you up and and help you move forward. So again, that also becomes part of the brand Sherpa story that um, we talked about earlier. Um, I'm here to guide you, I'm here to liberate your ideas. It's not my idea, it's not my way or the highway. It's something that is locked within your brand that I am going to help you find and guide you to the other side.
1: I love that. I got to look into more. I got to look into brand archetypes more. You know how sometimes certain words or phrases or things just keep coming into your path, right. just yeah, one right. after the other. Brand archetypes keeps coming up. So I, I need to dig into that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, now, and you can really begin to see once you understand the different archetypes, the brands whose archetypes resonate there. Yeah.
1: Now, Final question, we've talked a lot about bold branding, about as Leonard Lauder said to you when creating Origins, we're not here to test the waters, we're here to make waves. Are there situations in which a brand should maybe not consider striding boldly for there Are there situations, are there industries, are there any reasons why a brand should not go bold?
0: Yes, if you don't have the stomach for it, do not do it. Um, I was recently talking with a a young entrepreneur and he vacillated back and forth. He just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I said, you know what? Don't do it. If you cannot say, come on, let's go. I want to do this. This is really exciting. I'm a little scared, but let's go do it. Then don't talk. don't, Don't do it because there's too many things. There are black swans waiting in the weeds to jump out at you. There's all these different mistakes that you'll make. And if you're just not of the courageous, brave type of leader or company, then then there's nothing wrong with following a normal path of tried and true of you know, selling prod- wonderful products. But if you want to break away and break the rules, you've got to have the stomach for it. I always say that insurgents, my agency is an acquired taste. It is not for everybody. And you know, that I'm going to push you and I'm going to challenge you and I'm going to make you think about things in a unique way. And that's not for everybody. You know, if you're of a corporate mindset, then you need a much more traditional branding agency than I offer because I have a very unorthodox method And people either like it or they don't. And, you know, I'm good with that. I'm good with that.
1: All right. This has been amazing. Uh, First of all, I'm still starstruck that I get the opportunity to talk to you after admiring you for many years. (laughs) But also, I would love for you to tell the good folks listening to or watching this where they can find you, why they should find you, and what they will find there.
0: Okay. Well, obviously LinkedIn is always a great place to find me. It's just Robin Alvin on LinkedIn. Uh, of course, visit please visit the Insurgents website. It's i o, not dot .com. And then we haven't talked about my other brand, but I have another brand called Everlusting, which is uh, a brand that is talking about longevity from a sensual wellness point of view, not sexual wellness, but sensual wellness. And you should go check that out because that's a, a second uh, business and consultancy that I have. And that's everlasting.com. So those are three places where you can find me.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here, Robin. I'm definitely inspired. To think about my words, to think about how I can be a little bolder and how I can inspire clients to be a little bolder as well. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for Let's Talk About Brand. If you are joining us on your podcast player of choice, please subscribe to Let's Talk About Brand so you can make sure not to miss a single Monday episode and leave a review if you love it, which I'm sure you do. How could you not? And if you're joining us on YouTube on Fridays, again, make sure you subscribe to the Christine Gritman Inc. YouTube channel so that you don't miss a video podcast episode on Fridays. And I hope to see you on le- on chat about brand on Twitter on Tuesdays. Please do join me next week in whatever format you choose when I will be here with another brilliant guest expert talking about another specific element of branding. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.